With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, Dan, you there? Anybody else on the call yet? Dan, you on the call yet? Dan, did you make it on the call? Well, I guess I'm here by myself. Yeah, Dan. I can hear you, but I can't hear myself on it for some reason. You're not you're not talking, so you're not your your phone's not unmuted. Push uh right. eight push eight on your phone. Push what? Eight, number eight. Okay, sounds good. I'll try it again. See if it see if it turns it on. Okay, bye. Bye. Dan, did you get on the call?
Has anybody else logged in? Yeah, Dan. On it. So why don't you go ahead and start talking about everything, and I'll figure this thing out on the next episode. Okay. Is anybody else on the call or not? Yeah, there's three. I can tell. Oh, there's three on the call? Yep. Okay. I don't even know if I'm still on the call. Yeah, you're on the call. Okay. <clears throat> so just talk into your phone, and you've got your other phone. It'll work. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. All right. I'll stay. Okay, is there other people on the call tonight? Can you uh can you chime in and uh and give your name and 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 where you're calling in from? I don't know. Is anybody else on the call? Well, good evening. Is anybody else on the call? Dan, did you make it on the call? Is there anybody else on the call? Weird. Hmm. If there's anybody else out there on the call, Dan's trying to get logged in and get on the call. Uh, my name is Eugene Pringle, and I'm uh, down here in uh, Greater Grants Pass, Oregon. There, I heard somebody in the background. Yeah, did you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, this is Dave from Rainier. Hey, Dave, welcome to hey. the call. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it looks like uh, we're getting a few people coming in and getting on board. I hope oh, they logged in. <laughs> it's always the first time you sail a boat, you got to make sure that the hull doesn't leak. <laughs> so pretty quick, we'll get people on. I don't know if anybody else has logged on yet or not. Yeah, Gene. There's other people on. Okay. All right. Can you hear me now? Yep, I can hear you. Perfect. It took me a little bit, but I got it figured out. Okay. First up on the first one, we'll get we'll get it here. All right. So, Gene, tell me why it is that uh, you're so excited about uh, the IRS stuff and helping people with asset protection. Well, the problem we have is we have a government that uh, enjoys. Uh, too much stealing from the people. And m most people are not aware of really who they are or where they are, so they fall into the trap of responding to IRS letters and saying the wrong thing. So when somebody says, you owe me, 
X amount of dollars, and you say, no, I don't owe you that much. You just admitted that you owed something. So words have meaning, and when you use words, if you use the wrong words, you get in trouble. And I don't right. like to see uh, little people get hammered all the time uh, by government bureaucrats and, and uh, get beat up and thrown to the wolves. So we really have to be more careful about how we say things and who we say it to. So we don't want to make admissions or confessions. All we want to do is ask them to produce their authority and show us where they have authority to be asking us anything. Now, I know in the case of an IRS, uh, usually when most people get a letter from the IRS, most of them, the, their uh, stomach pretty much goes up through their throat. And I've also noticed in the letters, uh, particularly with the ones that you and I have dealt with, that most of the time, every single one of them deals with, they already assume at the very letterhead at the top where it says, dear, it always says taxpayer. Is the assumption that everybody in the United States a taxpayer? Well, certainly the IRS would love to uh, put forward that that assumption and make that accusation and not have you rebut it or deny it. And and that's usually the way they wrote people in is they say, well, you're a taxpayer, and without saying what statute or regulation made you a taxpayer. So this is a huge problem with the IRS, and they always start out, they start out to deal with a taxpayer. And, and I don't know if anybody's ever thought about that, but send them back the letter, say, thank you very much, I don't want to accept your offer, I'm not a taxpayer, and I haven't seen any statute or regulation that makes me a taxpayer, so if you want to kindly inform me of the statute and regulation you're referring to that makes me a taxpayer, please furnish it, and then we'll continue this conversation. Well, it's also my understanding, Gene, that whenever you are, because uh, I've seen some of the letters you've written and some of the responses you've gotten, are you trying to tell us that you've actually received letters back that say uh, something along the lines that you don't have to pay taxes? Well, they'll never send you a letter that says you don't have to pay taxes unless you send the right letter to them and, and preface it with the right argument. Um, I had a friend of mine up in Portland, Oregon, um, and he had was retired. Uh, he received some rental income. Uh, I would say I would call it rental earnings. We won't call it income. It was rental earnings. So he had an apartment, apartments or houses, whatever he rented. And then he had some uh, savings accounts that he had that he received interest from. So we did a tax return up for him, and we reported the interest income. And because it was from uh, uh, savings accounts, there wasn't very much, about $30 a year. So we sent that return in, and the next year we sent in another return, and with that return, we sent in a letter to the IRS and asked them, and we asked them that since he only had the $30 in income last year and didn't owe any taxes, uh, he had a little bit lesser amount of interest this year and still didn't owe any taxes. Is he required to file a return for the next year? And the IRS wrote back and said, according to your information, you are no longer required to file a return. Hmm. Now, have you also had people um, in the past that have been garnished and you've helped them get that uh, money and no longer be taxed or garnished with regards to the IRS? Yes, we've had several people that uh, have been garnished and had their Social Security benefits garnished by the IRS because the IRS claims that they owe a debt. So this is probably a, a, a longer topic than we want to get into, but I'll give you the short version of it. Uh, the problem is that when... When you obtain the Social Security number, the the government has tricked you into being treated as a government employee. So this is why the Internal Revenue Code in 6331 refers to the levy against a, an officer or employee of the United States. 
Well, when you have a Social Security number, they're actually alleging that you are a federal personnel. And you can see this if you want to go to it in 5 U.S.C. 552A A13 is the definition of federal personnel. So let's assume that you have a Social Security number and you've retired and you're now drawing out of Social Security and you think everything's honky-dory. And along comes the IRS and they send you a letter out and say, gee, uh, you didn't pay your, all the taxes that you owed last year and we audited your account and we found out that you owed more. So we uh, put uh, penalties and interest and uh, all kinds of other stuff on it. And now you owe this much money and we're going to be uh, taking 15% of your Social Security benefits. Well, I've developed a, a letter that we sent into the IRS, and we uh, set up the argument that this number and this account and the entity that's associated with it is owned by us. So in other words, it belongs to me. <clears throat> and if you claim a right to some of its property, uh, you would have to have to be in the position of a, uh, in civil law, what they call a usufructory. And this that entity then, that ID number and that name associated with it, would be treaty, being treated like a usufruct, which is a right and a property of another without having any ownership interest in it. And this fits the scenario quite well. And once this letter is sent in, uh, so far, uh, we've had very good success with it. I think everybody we sent it in for has had their, uh, their withholding by the IRS stopped. Well, that's really good. I mean, if you think about it, um, I know in the past I've seen lots of people with letters who um, they say they owe a bunch of money, and I've also learned that if you don't send in your tax return, they'll make one up for you. And typically when they make one up for you, they don't give you any deductions. They just make it up and do whatever they have to do, uh, basically, on your behalf. And it's never usually on <laughs> the good side for you. It's usually you got to end up paying. Right, have well, you had pretty good success with your letters in regards to talking directly with the IRS and making the claims uh, in a situation where maybe somebody owes money and they're in a process of having to deal with fighting the IRS? Well, the, the, the way to fight the IRS is really not to fight them. What you want to do and, and what the letters that we develop are geared to do is to set the, I, the IRS agent up for a suit for reckless and intentional violation of the Internal Revenue Code and regulations. So... And this way, you're, you, you shift the burden of proof back to the IRS. You, you, we don't want to have to have the burden of proof on us. What do we have to prove? That we, we have a right to earn a living? Uh, we keep hearing about these things, all these nice, lofty principles of America, that every citizen has a right to exist. You have a right to exchange your time of life for money in the forms of property. And you have all these rights. However, when you start dealing with the IRS, they're not dealing with rights. They're dealing with privileges and, and, and subject citizens. The people that they want to deal with are all subject to the jurisdiction of Congress, so they are, they're actually are treated as property of Congress. They are not free citizens of states. So the, the way to handle these people and, and uh, trap them is to counter back to them and say, please provide for me the statute and regulation that you claim makes me liable to your uh, statutory program. Well, in fact, did you not, uh, you, you talked of a story in the past about going into an IRS agent with uh, books and records. Could That kind of is along those lines, is it not? Yeah, it's, this, this is a, was a young lady from Portland, Oregon. Her and I went down to the IRS office in Salem, and they, they wanted her to bring, bring her records and papers and come down for an audit. So we sent a letter, first of all, and we sent a letter to the IRS agent there and, and told her we were going to tape record the conversation. Uh, 
So we went down there to to the IRS office and we set up our tape recorder and the IRS agent comes out and they set up the IRS tape recorder and they start the program. The first thing that they uh, asked was, uh, did you bring your books and records? And I said, yes, she did. And I was registered as her agent. So I picked up a brown paper grocery bag from, I believe it was from uh, Fred Myers, held it up and yes, we have them right here. And the agent said, well, can we, can we see those? I said, well, we're not to that point yet. There's a couple of things that we need to clear up first. He said, oh, she said, what's that? I said, well, I, I would like you to show me the statute that makes my client liable for the tax. He said, oh, well, you know, it's, it's in the Internal Revenue Code. And I said, well, uh, that's really great. Do you have a copy of that book here that you can show me? Uh, well, we have an office copy here somewhere. And I said, oh, great. So I said, can you uh, get that and show it to us? So we shut the tape, goes off, and this IRS, IRS agent goes to find this IRS code. And she was gone about 20 minutes and of course, my client's sitting there, and she's all nervous and everything because this is an IRS audit, and she just literally petrified. And I got her to relax a little bit. So this gal comes back, the IRS agent comes back, and <clears throat> says, well, we can't find the office copy. I reached down and got my briefcase and put it up my lap and popped it open and reached in and got my internal revenue code and flopped it out on the desk and let it bang really hard on the desk. And I said, that's okay, you can use mine. <laughs> back down on the floor and she picked the book up and thumbed through it one direction and then thumbed through it the other direction and set it back down on the table and said well it's in there somewhere but every taxpayer and, and, and I said wait a minute don't, don't call my client a taxpayer until you show me the statute and regulation that actually makes her a taxpayer well, every taxpayer, and I said, look, lady, you've got all the equipment to be a whore, but I'm not going to call you one until you prove me that you are one. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. And to this day, I don't think they've ever contacted her again. She has never contacted me, so I, I suppose that they've never contacted her. But well, I find that uh, that's quite interesting. Now, let me ask you another question regarding the code. What is it, uh, what are the two main things that you help teach people uh, in regards to how to either reduce or eliminate their taxes, and then when something comes up, uh, what types of things might you put in or say in your letters that would help somebody through the process of not having to pay or greatly reduce what they pay? Well, I, I think there's two things. One is understanding what part of the code applies to us as state citizens, and the next thing to understand is, is what we do uh, to protect ourselves from this and, and how we can, how we can uh, sort of uh, work with or fit in with the business community out there and be able to carry on a business without uh, sacrificing our privacy and, and uh, uh, becoming subject to a whole bunch of things. So... Basically, what I do is I teach people how to protect their assets, how to do business and be in the business environment with the a minimal exposure to taxation by arranging your private affairs to pay the lease to the, lease to the government, which is a basic and fundamental right. So once you understand the sections of the code that are applicable to our fact-based circumstance, and then you understand how to protect your assets and how to do business and in an artificial entity capacity without exposing yourself to tax liability, um, then, you, then you have the best of both worlds, and it's completely legal. And then uh, what type of way might you do that? How would you do that in regards to... Um Say, if I was to come over and ask you to help me, what might you set up in order for that to occur? Well, depending on your situation. So um, let's say that you wanted to uh, operate a business and, and you're going to be uh, 
uh, dry goods uh, sales. So you're going to do you're going to sell um, all kinds of different merchandise over the internet, and, uh, not have a storefront, but do mainly over the internet or private sales by invitation. So what you do is you set up a limited liability company operated in a specific manner. And that I reserve to the people who actually want to do this. So you operate in a specific manner. and It, it, it's, it has a certain classification at the IRS and at the state level. So once you set this up and you start operating, you're, you're going to have a number that the IRS issues you that says you can go out there and do business. But you're a non-taxpayer, and the IRS knows it. So does the state. So if you have a state income tax, most of the states, you're either exempt or they have a flat fee that they want to charge you. So depending on the type of business that you want to operate, you might not even have to have to incorporate or, or operate your company as a, with an office in their state. So if you're not doing an overly amount of business in any given state, you're doing it all over like on the Internet, you may not have to be in any specific state. So you can pick out a state that's the most advantageous to your fact-based circumstance and operate your company there. So there's, there's a lot of flexibility here. Well, and I think also the thing I think that was the most interesting was um, when a company, when you set the companies up right, they don't actually have to pay any taxes. Have you gotten letters to that effect? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the IRS always sends you a when you apply for a, a like an EIN number, they'll they'll tell you that you're required to file a certain kind of tax return. Well, those who don't know will go and file a tax return. What they don't know is that when they file that return, they've just volunteered to treat themselves in a specific manner. However, if you look at the regulation that governs that, it will tell you that when you file that first return. If you're a multi-member company, you have to have all the members sign that return and agree to that designation. Um, I find that rather interesting. Yet the IRS accept accept all accept those returns from now on, as long as you keep, keep filing and paying, they'll never say a word and tell you the truth. So what, what code, do you know what code, I can't remember now what that is, which one that is that actually does that. Uh, the form. The the exemption, you mean? Yeah, the exemption form. Well, the, the exemption and the code, the, the, the code section that requires a small partnership or partnerships to file a tax return is 6031. The exemption is listed as 6231. Most people, they go and talk to a CPA or a tax accountant or somebody that's really gone to school with the IRS. They really don't know anything, but they went to school. So they will tell you all of the, the tax, the IRS's rhetoric. They will they will state every every one of their uh, bulletins they send out and say, oh yeah, if you do this, you're a taxpayer. If you do that, you're a taxpayer. If if you blink and breathe, you're a taxpayer. But when you begin to realize what the code says and what the regulations say, you find out that there's a huge difference. So what uh, what. I have done, and, and the people that I work with uh, have worked together and done, is to investigate the code sections and find out the exemptions from the code. So there are exemptions everywhere in the Internal Revenue Code. Most people, if they say the word accept or uh, something to that effect, it says, except that such terms shall not include, they have some kind of mental block set up that trips them and they their their mind goes blank and they can't think after that. It's kind of like a greyhound hitting a brick wall. So uh, it's hard to get past those things. So if you have the right kind of training, that they, they brainwash them to, when they see those kind of words, they just draw a blank so they can't think after that. They have to go back and start from the beginning. With us untrained individuals, we can see those words, and we know that when we see the word accept, that that's an exception to what was previously stated, and we should pay very close attention to that. It might be important. 
So in other words, a, a company can actually fill out a form 6231 and not even have to pay taxes on that company. Any, any of the profits coming in or anything that comes to that company doesn't have to pay taxes. There's not a 6231 form. It's not a form. 26 U.S.C. 6231 is a code section in the Internal Revenue Code. That is the is an exemption for small partnerships. So the the company itself that's set up is not a taxpayer. So it does, if it made a million dollars, it doesn't have to pay. Well, if it if it made if it profited a million dollars, then and if it didn't expense those that off someplace, and it had a distribution of profits, the 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 partners who received the distribution would definitely pay tax on the profit, but not the company. If it, it's it's a matter of making the correct bookkeeping entries in your in your bookkeeping, and understand that there are certain payments that you make or that are not taxable payments under the tax code. Got it. So in other words, it's understanding the terms that you're using as you're paying to be able to say whether or not you owe or don't owe, and it has to go through the members. Right. And, and, and this is, the, this is the, the thing about the, the Internal Revenue Code and the regulations. We, as citizens have a right to rely on the written law. And if I take that law and I read it, because it's supposed to be written in about a sixth grade level uh, English grammar, so a child in grammar school should be able to understand what it says in that code. So when I read that and I find a provision in there that exempts me or... or or uh, is an exception to the rule, and and it says that I have a right to use it in my situation, and I take advantage of that. When they come and say, "Well, you you don't have any right to use that part of the code over there," I say, "Well, that's not what the code says. The code says I do have a right to use it." So if one person says that I haven't got a right to use it, and I say that I do have a right, and I can show them in the code and in the regulation where that right is defined, and they say, oh, no, that's wrong. Excuse me. What did they just do? They made the code and the regulation ambiguous, and they voided the whole thing. So happy days here again. So in other words, you teach people how to go through the process, and I know we're doing that now with uh, Live Life Contently. We're working together on helping people actually create LLCs, but also to understand how to use the LLC to their benefit so that empowers them to be able to keep as much money as they possibly can. Is that correct? Right, And, and the key here is to understand and and develop a, a general understanding of our rights. We we have a right to exist, along with the right to exist is the right to exchange your time of life for money and other forms of property. These are fundamental rights. The government cannot pass a law that converts a right into a privilege and then tax it. Yet that's what they've done. That's exactly what they do. They say, oh well. Everybody is a taxpayer, and you're engaged in a in a in a, a privileged uh, occupation or something, and so you have to pay a tax. There, there is a company or a case called Jack Cole Company versus McFarland, and this is 337 Southwest Second, 453 in 1960. This is a case from Tennessee, and what it says in this case is. Since the right to receive income or earnings is a right belonging to every person, this right cannot be taxed as a privilege. So uh, a privilege is whatever business, pursuit, occupation, or vocation affecting the public. So if it affects the general public and you're doing it, like if you're selling securities, you're selling alcohol or tobacco or firearms, things that affect the public right, they can license that and tax it as a privilege. In most of those cases, once you buy the, the pay for the license, you have a right to make the, the, the income from the business. 
So if you sold uh, guns and ammunition and you made a profit from it, would that be taxable income from a trader business in the United States if you are in a state of the American Union operating as a small partnership? That's a great question. I would say no. It's no. Because you're a foreign you're a foreign company with respect to the District of Columbia. The states of the American Union are foreign countries to the District of Columbia. These people who want to argue that the that the Internal Revenue Code is applicable everywhere in the United States, how do you get around four USC section seventy two which says all offices that are connected to the seat of government shall be exercised in the District of Columbia and not elsewhere. Isn't that a mandate from Congress telling its government agencies in the District of Columbia to stay where they belong? It is. Then how did they get out here in the state? Oh, maybe they contracted with the state government in order to collect state income taxes. Maybe that's it, huh? Maybe. What right does that give them? What authority does that give them by that contract to come after individual citizens and claim that they're taxpayers? Well, it's only because I understand a few more things than most, but I will tell you, I think a lot of it has to deal with that Social Security number. It is. <laughs> and that's where they became a government employee. Yeah. They're just yet we don't, their property. Yep, it's their property, yet we don't own that card. Once you confront them and say, wait a minute, (laughs) what do you think you're doing here, Chief? I got a copy of the SS-5 over here, and uh, it doesn't say any place on that SS-5 application by filling out this application. I'm going to make myself federal personnel for tax purposes. Since it doesn't say that, that's failure to disclose, and it's breach of a fiduciary duty, and it's time to play Sioux City. Yep, and in fact, we have a case right now in court, don't we? Wants to come after after the individual, and if they ever make the claim that it's the Social Security number that created that liability, uh, we're in court. Yeah, and when you bring that suit into court, uh, it's not going to be failing to state a claim because the fraud is clear. And plain, and and the evidence is th- is their use of it to try and cause you an injury or a liability where none existed previously. So it sounds like education is the key to success of actually reducing your liability and your taxes. That's right. It, 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 people cannot be ignorant and be free. We have we have to step up to the plate and learn, even though. There's not a whole lot to learn, but there is stuff to learn. You do have to learn some things. And you have well, to, to, to read the, the, the written word and the code and then be able to act on it. And that's what you teach. That's right. And that's what we're starting to teach now with Live Life Contently. Uh, one of the things that people want to get information, more information on this and start learning and start going through the process of how it is that we're doing it they can reach us at uh, danny at livelifecontently.com. Again, that's danny, D-A-N-N-Y, at livelifecontently.com. It's all one word. You can email me. We'll get a hold of Gene and we'll work through it. I know with uh, the different companies that I have, um, it's been quite unique working uh, through the steps and the process of really getting educated on how to directly use an LLC um, it isn't just as simple as what most companies set you up and do. It isn't just about starting an LLC. You have to understand how to run it correctly, how to set it up correctly. Is that true, Gene? That's correct. What happens if you don't set it up correctly and you well, don't use it correctly? If you don't set it up correctly, then you make it into a taxpayer by default. So if you if if these things are set up incorrectly... Most people will go down and say, oh, well, I want to have an LLC. So they go down and they, they file their, their articles of organization with the Secretary of State, and it's a single-member uh, LLC, or it's a husband and wife forming an LLC, uh, and they don't really understand why they should form it in any other manner. 
So when they set it up, it defaults to a sole proprietorship or a DBA, and the IRS will claim it's a taxpayer. So will your state. However, the person who understands how to set it up correctly and establishes it as a multi-member LLC and operating it as a small partnership, then you take advantage of those things that are beneficial to small businesses. So there's a whole new world out there to learn about in operating these small small partnerships and taking advantage of, of the exceptions and exemptions that are put there in the code to assist small businesses. And then the next thing is understanding that we as Americans are not taxpayers by default. I may pay taxes when I go to the store and buy something. I'm paying somebody else's taxes when I buy the product. In that sense, yes, we're all taxpayers. But for specific items, we are not taxpayers. And the Internal Revenue Code defines us in a very specific manner. And that manner is? We're, we're identified at 26 U.S.C. 1.1-2D as in Delta. And that, that section is headed non-resident aliens. So if the income tax is municipal code for the District of Columbia, it's called private international law because it applies to specific individuals or class. And at 1.1-2D, there's a class there called non-resident alien individuals who are also classified as United States citizens. So the other class of individuals that are subject to the Internal Revenue Code is called citizens or residents of the United States, which the courts have said that a citizen of the United States is a citizen of Congress. So a resident of the United States who is not a citizen is taxed the same as a citizen of the United States. That is, that they're subject to taxes on all their earnings from whatever source derived. But non-resident alien individuals are only subject to certain income from certain sources. And it tells you that flat out in the statutes and regulations. Just to, to, to give you an idea here of how, how finite the code is regarding non-resident alien individuals, this is taken from 26 CFR 1.6654-6, non-resident alien individuals. B, determination of gross income. To determine the gross income of a non-resident alien individual who is not or does not expect to be a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico, or a possession to which Section 931 applies during the entire taxable year, see Section 872 and 1.872-1 and 872-2 to determine the gross income of a non-resident alien individual who expects to be a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico or a possession to which Section 931 applies during the entire taxable year, see Section 876 and the regulations. For rules for determining whether an individual is a bona fide resident of the United States possessions, including Puerto Rico, see section 937 and the regulations. Now, there it tells you exactly where to go to determine the income of a non resident alien individual. I hope everybody wrote that down. <laughs> you know, Gene, uh, and I think when you are able to run a company and understand who you truly are, I think it really brings and boils down to freedom because if you can actually keep a lot of the income that you're creating, you can retire earlier, you can retire with more freedom, and you can spend more time with family and friends and the things that you want to do. Unfortunately, 
I've also been in a position, and I know as many others have been, is that when you start making a lot of money, they seem like you take a lot more money, and your retirement seems like it's a lot more bleak because they're constantly taking money from you. Yeah. And it seems like you get punished the more money that you make, the more they take. Well, that's the, the system that the government designed with the income tax and the Social Security tax, is to put everybody into poverty. So the, the, the only only the few would be able to escape. They would make enough money that they could actually escape the system. So the rest of us, the rest of us, were always down there at the bottom rung, and we were fighting to get to the next rung, and and we always stayed on the bottom. So you worked all your life, you you worked for what they called wages, and you paid your taxes, and you did the best you could, and you saved a little bit, and you spent a little bit, and you did the best that you could. Well, maybe you did all right, and maybe you didn't. But in reality, if everybody obeyed the law as as written, there would be nobody filing any tax returns because nobody in the states of the union would owe any money to the federal government unless they were involved in revenue taxable activity or they volunteered under 6013G or H. So... If, if if we obeyed the law correctly, the, the federal government would not have its trillions of dollars to spend and would not be borrowing money and going into debt buying more people off. Right. So, in other words, where we want to start as an individual who wants to reduce or eliminate their tax, it sounds to me like we need to really start at more of the asset protection. I happen to know this firsthand, that if you're not careful with your assets, they'll take them from you if you don't have things, if you have an alter ego going on. Is that correct? That's right. Now, what I mean by alter ego, uh, you've heard the term, I'm sure, many times. So when I say alter ego, what does that exactly mean? Well, the IRS likes that term very much. An alter ego is, is an imitation of yourself. So it's like looking in a mirror and seeing a reflection. So if, if you operate a company or, or operate a business and you commingle your personal funds with the business funds, then you can convert it to an alter ego. So there's certain things that you have to do and be aware of when you operate a company. Uh, I'll give you a good idea here of what a lot of people do and the way and the way they wind up in deep trouble. Uh, they'll go out and say, "Well, I got a trust," and and they set up this trust, and and, uh, and then they take a house that they have and they put it in the trust. Then they live in the house and they don't pay any rent because the trust owns the house, so they're not paying any rent. And then the IRS audits them and says, "Well, the trust became an alter ego." because you're not paying any rent and the trust owns a home and it's managed by some trustees that you, you, you may be the beneficiary or you may be a trustee. If, it's, if you're the trustee, it's you set up a living trust. So it's a revocable trust until you die. But if you're living in the house and you give the house to the trust, you got to pay rent on it. Make it an arm's length transaction. Don't do the dumb things and make yourself liable to the tax. And that's what happens. People operate these things wrong. Uh, they put vehicles into a, a company, and then they drive around in the vehicle. They get stopped. They don't have a rental agreement. Uh, they don't buy insurance. So, you know, whatever. Whatever reason, they do things wrong. So if the company owns the vehicle, it's insured by the company, or even if you insure it yourself, you can lease the vehicle and insure it yourself. Get a better rate. And it's protected. Yeah, it's protected. It's protected from any liability with uh, from yourself. So let's say, for example, you went out and injured somebody and you're driving your car and you injured somebody for whatever reason, it isn't coming after you or vice versa. Well, yeah, you were you were the driver. If you weren't negligent, if you weren't negligent in the accident uh, and did something stupid uh, to, to make yourself liable as, as the... Uh, person controlling the vehicle, uh, then what they can get is the insurance. Uh, and you don't have any assets because you don't own anything, and the company may 
own the vehicle, but it also may be financed uh, through another company. So if it's financed, what are they going to get? They get the insurance policy. The vehicle wouldn't be worth anything. So if if, the, if they could get the vehicle, I guess they could take the vehicle uh, if it had some equity in it. So you know, it's just uh, it's a, the way that you set things up helps to protect yourself. Well, I know that uh, if you who was it Rockefeller that said uh, on his deathbed that he would tell the American people how it is to really handle their situation. Do you remember what that said? Uh, yeah, he said Rockefeller said he would he would tell the American people before he died the secret of success, and he said own nothing and control everything. Now so, I think the issue that we're faced with today, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Dean is that uh, nowadays courts, if your LLCs or corporations aren't set up correctly, what are they doing now to now to the corporations? Well, they want to pierce the corporate veil. So if they can, if they can uh, uh, get the right situation where a member or a manager of a limited liability company has done something that, that uh, is liable for in tort, they can pierce the corporate veil. But if the if the manager has done the right thing or the member has done the right thing and done the right thing with the limited liability company and not commingled funds and doesn't commit any criminal act, then they cannot pierce the corporate veil. So it's it's a it's a really finite line there, but they they have to be able to prove that somebody committed a tort. And now that's what what we're doing with live life contently. So we're teaching others how to do that correctly to reduce that, but also be able to reduce or eliminate your taxes and do it legally, and to do it in a way that you protect yourself, your family, and your income. And I really feel uh, now when it comes to the LLCs. What aspect do you, what role do you play in an LLC, and then how do you help protect others in their LLC? Well, a lot of people that sometimes they don't have uh, somebody else to be their partner. They only have one individual, or it's a husband and wife. They don't have any children, uh, so they may they they may need somebody to serve as an extra member. So I help them out by serving as a member, and since I'm more familiar with the tax code. I also help them by being their tax matters member, which is legally done in the Internal Revenue Code. So, and I really, it doesn't really matter whether uh, this is in the Internal Revenue Code or not. Uh, if if a person wants to have representation before an administrative agency, he can have anybody help him out. Right. But what's nice is that you're there so that people have questions or they have something that comes across and it's a tax matter issue, you would then take it, write the letter, help them through that process, and uh, handle it for them regarding that so they didn't have to sit there and lose sleep overnight and yet feel more protected than having uh, done it on their own. Would right. that be correct? The biggest thing is when the IRS writes a letter to you, you have, you have to be able to, to respond, respond to back to the IRS with the right type of question. So... Uh, sometimes it's a matter of reminding them um, that you've chose to do things in a specific manner. And once you inform them of that, they'll agree with you and say, oh, yes, you're right. Thank you very much. The and 55 re- filing requirement for this entity has been removed. Isn't that what you want to hear? And I've seen those letters, Gene. <laughs> yeah. It's nice knowing that when you get a letter from uh, from the IRS that basically they're they're stating that your company is doing things correctly and that since you didn't fill out a tax uh, what do you call it a tax form that year and the fact that you're not paying any taxes on the company it's kind of neat to see a letter from the IRS saying hey you're doing it, you're doing it correctly which right. is really unique and different from what I think I was raised. It's just a matter of understanding the law and being able to point the IRS in the right direction, and uh, it's uh, it's rather refreshing when uh, you 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 send out a letter and you get one back that says, "Gee, we need 45 days to investigate this 
this uh, letter you sent us. And then within a week, you get another letter, and it says, disregard the previous letter. It was sent out in error. We've removed <laughs> 65 filing requirement for this entity. So That is a good day. Yes. That's that's what you want. That's what you want to see. And that's what we're doing at the Danny at, you can email me at Danny at Live Life Contently, and uh, we can help with that part of it and uh, get you started if that's something that you want to do. Well, Gene, I have to tell you, I know you got a lot to talk about today, and I know that there's a lot more to, to cover, but I was hoping that we could have you back even next week uh, to maybe another half an hour to an hour to go over some more things and maybe even some more detail on what the LLCs do. Would you be willing to do that with us? Sure. All right. So uh, if you've got anything else to add, I was thinking that we could uh, close this down and, and uh, get a chance to talk with you next week. Okay. I think that's right. about Okay. So uh, what about next week around 5 or 6? Would it be best at 6 for you or 5? Oh, 5 would be fine. I think that 5 o'clock is a good time, unless it would be better for more people to join the call uh, okay. if we start a little bit later maybe. Well, these are recorded, and they can listen to them at any time, so we'll have that option as well. All right, anybody? Gene, well, uh, for those of you who want to get more information and or talk to myself and what we're doing with regards to LLCs and helping people reduce or eliminate their taxes, you can contact me at Danny at LiveLifeContently.com. And, Gene, thanks again, and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Gene.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.